Today we have the one and the only Michael Blanc on the show. Are you looking to achieve financial freedom? Michael Blanc is a leader in the multifamily industry and he knows what it takes to achieve financial freedom. In this episode, he talks about the importance of consistency. He also talks about how to quit your job in one to two years and how to talk with brokers. Listen to this episode now so you can learn from Michael Blanc himself and get started on your own journey to financial freedom. You won't regret it. Before we jump into the intro, if you have interest in learning how to invest passively, check out my five-step process for passively investing in real estate. You can download it for free by going to darrenbatchelder.com backslash learn and then select the free PDF. Now, onto the intro. Welcome to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Each week, you will learn how to grow your wealth through real estate investing, be introduced to the players that are getting it done, and learn how you can get involved. And now, here's your host, Darren Batchelder. A little background on Michael Blanc before we start the show. Michael Blanc is a well-known name in the multifamily industry. He is the author of Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing. He's also the host of a podcast with the same name, Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing. In addition, he's also the host of a conference called Dealmaker Live. There is just so much to learn from this guy. Now, on to the show. Hello, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest here. We have the one and the only Michael Blanc. Michael, appreciate you coming on the show. Hey, Darren. It's great to, great to be here today. Absolutely. So just a little bit on how uh, we know each other. I have not actually spoken with Michael prior to today. He is a leader in the multifamily space. He is out there. He's got a podcast. He's got a YouTube channel. He has a book called Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing. He's got a live event coming up in Dallas on June 2nd through the 4th. He also is just always out there doing podcasts with other people and trying to give back. So I'm very interested in this conversation. Um, with that, just to start out, we typically ask how many properties and how many units are you currently invested in? We have about uh, 2,000 and uh, we're about, we're closing on another 173. We sold um, three or four of them and we're about to sell another one. So something around like, like that. Yeah, it's fun. It's, it's fantastic. So, you know, when I look at your stuff, I see a lot of, you know, look, you, the, the name of your book is called Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing. A lot of the stuff that I've seen, you know, whether it be on YouTube or whatnot, focuses in on financial freedom. So can you share with the listeners, what would you define as financial freedom? How would you define it? Yeah, it allows you to control your time and still pay your bills, right? So that's, it gives you options. And so, you know, uh, you know, my audience, you know, we, we don't necessarily want to become millionaires, but we want to control our time and still provide it for our families. And for that, you need passive income and there's nothing better 
than real estate. And a lot of people, you know, they, they read the purple book and, and they immediately think they want to flip a house or use a Burr method or uh, invest some kind of single family house investing. And the truth is that, you know, 99% of those people can never quit their job. And they realize this uh, sometimes only after, after years. And so, you know, our mission is to really educate people that you can literally quit your job in one to two years if you get into, if you learn to raise money and, and get into apartment buildings. That's a short time period, one to two years. It is. That's pretty amazing. That's, that's fantastic. So I've seen it, um, the impact of, of real estate investing and especially large scale, like multifamily, large scale uh, properties. Why, in your opinion, is there so much wealth building impact by investing in, in apartment buildings? Well, I think there's uh, multiple reasons for that. I think one is that uh, it's a matter of scale. So when, when single family house, you know, you buy a house, you buy another house, you know, you do it five times, you have five houses. Well, in the apartment world, when you buy one apartment, the second one is going to be larger and the third one is going to be larger still. They're never the same. And that's because after you've started doing a deal, uh, the law of the first deal kicks in and you it gives you track record. You have an established team. You become a bit of a deal magnet and a money magnet and your comfort zone grows at the same time. So even though you're only doing a second deal or a third deal or fourth deal, the deals become progressively larger. And this allows you, you know, even with two or three deals, uh, it allows you to, to easily cover your, your living expenses. So I don't need to do 10 apartment deals. I need to do like two or three. And now I can quit my job if I want to and then focus full time and then it accelerates that even further. Yeah, that, that's huge. Um, you know, scale is something that a lot of people real, you know, see when they move from single family to multifamily. Um, and that comes in a number of different ways, right? It comes from instead of you managing those single families, you have a property management company that's managing it. You know, so there's a full-time leasing person, full-time maintenance person on site. And so you're leveraging, you know, somebody else's time and effort. Um, you're also, you have more units. So the cash flow is different, you know. So I started with a duplex and then all of a sudden one tenant moved out and I was 50% occupied, right? But with these larger apartment deals, you know, you're not going to have 30, 40, 50 units all vacant at the same time. So um, you, you end up benefiting from having that scale in that regard as well. It also, I mean, you asked, uh, you know, why is it so good for financial freedom? The second component, is, and you alluded to it, is it has a passive nature to it. Um, it's not just scale, right? Because, you know, I, I was in restaurants and you can achieve scale in restaurants, but there's nothing passive about it, right? I can achieve scale in single family house portfolio, but there's nothing passive about it. And so it has a passive component built in, unlike really any other business. And that's because what you mentioned is the professional management is built into the business model. So if, if I'm building a single family house portfolio, for example, most people self-manage until they reach a certain scale, maybe 10 houses, and then they go, my gosh, it's too much. Maybe I should get some help. And when they do that, you know, they're still paying 10% of income and the quality of the proper manager is, is very mixed uh, because you're not going to attract a professional high quality manager to manage you know, 10 houses with 10 different roofs. But with apartments, it, it's built into the business model. It is, it is well understood that a professional management company manages an apartment building. And so there already is a passive component built into it that no other business really has. Yeah, I mean, 
when you're building that model, you actually have the P&L set up where you have the payroll for the leasing manager and the, and the, the maintenance person built into the P&L, where most people that do single family don't do that, right? They, they're doing it themselves. So, hey, talk syndication. One, that's, you know, for people new to the industry, just that word alone can be intimidating, you know, and then two, um, you know, talk about the, you know, the power of, of leveraging other people's money, you know, um, in that regard. Yeah. Syndication is a complicated, scary word. It's uh, it's actually legal. Um, and, uh, it's actually and, and legal. So, <laughs> you know, when I, when I, when I first, when I first, uh, I, when I first understood the power of, 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 you know, other people's money is when I, when, when I was house flipping, because I, I didn't have my own capital at the time. So I was just, you know, essentially borrowed it, you know, six month note, 12% interest, boom. Right. And it was, it was surprisingly easy to get people to loan me money. Um, and so, but that was the first time I was like, man, I'm not limited by my own limited resources. You know, right. I'm limited by my ability to raise capital and find deals. And so applying that to. And what's in buildings, your head, right? Yeah. And what's in your head. And so applying that apartment buildings, you know, once you understand that you can raise money from a single person and they invest whatever, $50,000, man, you do it five times. Okay. And now you can buy a million dollar building, right? You do it 10 times and you know, you can buy a $2 million building. Like it's, it's amazing. And so when you, you and, and, the, and the cool thing about it is you're also serving those investors. It's not like you're begging them for money or you're manipulating and no, you're actually serving them. You're giving them an investment vehicle that is substantially better than the stock market. And you're giving them access to something they would never get access to if it weren't for you. And so the cool thing about it is you're actually serving investors who have the problem of the stock market, right? Now, a lot of people are scratching their heads and have been for years. There's a, there's a volatility, there's uncertainty, timing is very important. If there's a correction or, or a recession, I need the money for retirement or pay for college, now I'm kind of I'm kind of screwed. Number two, it typically doesn't pay cash flow. So I can't exit my medical practice or my law practice. So unless I invest, you know, till I'm 65 years old and maybe lift off the principal. And then number three, I pay taxes. Every time my, you know, financial advisor, or my broker sells something, I got to pay not only commissions, but tax on it. And so all this churns, right? This is churns and and now for good measure, you add inflation to it, right? So an 8% return in the market with 8% inflation means that you're not getting any return at all. Uh, and even that, you know, 8% is a little bit uncertain. So investors, they're struggling right now to trying to figure out what to do with their money. And we as syndicators can help them because we are an inflation hedge. We generate cash flow, generate wealth, and we have extraordinary tax benefits. Yeah, you said, you said so many great things there. I mean... I love that you bring up serving, you know, because you turned it into a positive where so many people that are getting into the industry, that's the piece that scares the heck out of them, you know, asking people for money. But you didn't position it that way. You positioned it as you're serving others. And it, it's so true. It's just an opportunity, right? And you're, you're providing an opportunity that they wouldn't otherwise have. They can always say no, right? But, you know, once you start learning that you present it to people and they, they're like, wow, I can do this. And you open the eyes to other people and then you help grow their wealth. Then it goes away from trying to get other people's money and 
actually service, you know? So I think that that's fan- yeah. fantastic that you position it that way. Um, lessons learned, you know, I mean, look, you've, you've been an investor, you are an investor. Um, but in addition to that, you teach other people, you know, so along the, you know, your journey, what are some of the lessons learned and, you know, somebody coming in, how do they do it faster? Yeah. I mean, how do they do it faster? I mean, I think one my lesson learned over the years was to uh, make better use of mentors or advisors. You know, I'm a pretty smart guy, right? And I've, I've, I always felt like I could figure things out and I have, but the problem is if you look at my own journey, it's taken years and I've lost, you know, millions of dollars in the process of trying to figure it out. Why not? Maybe just an idea, not a, not a sermon, but just a thought, you know, align yourself <laughs> with mentors who have done what you want to do. And maybe you have to pay them possibly substantial amount of money and they shortcut your, your experimentation. And so, I mean, probably over the last five years, I've, I've paid mentors way more than I ever have in the, in the past. And it's just mind blowing what these guys have done and their ideas and their confidence in your ability to do the same thing. So I think that's probably lesson number one is, is really align yourself with, with mentors and advisors. And um, yeah, that's probably a, a big lesson there. Well, you know, it's interesting to hear you say that because you are a mentor, right? So it's like, you're, you know, you're not just saying, Hey, look, I should be the mentor and, and other people come pay me and I'll teach you. But you're also continually reinvesting in yourself to, to level up again. And so you, you know, the idea of having a mentor, you may have a mentor for a year or two, and then you end up getting a different mentor to get to a different place that you're trying to get to. That's right. And you can even have uh, multiple mentors depending on what you're trying to do, right? So you might have, you might try to lose weight or exercise more. So you're going to have, you know, a trainer or I want to do spiritual development or something, right? So you might have more than, than one mentor. It really, these people really help you grow and get to the next level. And I think that's what's so powerful. And again, you can figure things out yourself. All right. I, I get that. But, you know, if you can, if, it, if you can shave off two or three years off your development and you pay a mentor or whatever, $20,000, $30,000, is it worth it? Right. Because I have always found without exception that the return on investment of these uh, with mentors is far greater. It always exceeds 10 X. You know, and it's it's really powerful. And so that's one of the mistakes I made I made early on, which would have probably prevented me from failing in the restaurant business, for example. And frankly, <laughs> it would have allowed me to scale in the apartment building as well. I mean, you know, again, there's things that we did in the beginning that were pretty cool. We figured things out. Um, but now we're finding that, you know, uh, we're trying to help people scale to a thousand units. So our, our mission really is, you know, help you do your first deal because that will lead to financial freedom within another one or two deals. All right. But then what? Right. And then we kind of, you know, but then people kind of try to figure things out. They they now realize that they're building a multimillion dollar syndication business and now they're no longer in real estate investing per se, but they're actually in business. They're business people. Therefore, they have to worry about sales and marketing and investing properly and hiring people. And most people just don't have experience with that. Right. And so, again, mentors there again, can help. There are many mentors out there that can help grow, grow businesses. So again, that would be a different kind of mentor yet. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, some people have a misconception too of mentors, like they're just going to give you a 10 step or a 20 step process, a cookie cutter process. But it's, it's in my experience, it's much more than that. It's, it's the network that they've built too, that you get to leverage, 
You know, it's the reputation that they've built over the years that you get to leverage. And, you know, with, with that comes, you know, the shortening of time of how long it will take you to go from point A to point B. So brokers, people are afraid when they first get started talking to brokers. You know, what's your advice in terms of how somebody's new in the business and, you know, they're told that they have to develop these relationships with brokers? You know, how do they go about it? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a scary thing to talk, about, talk to a broker about a multi-million dollar deal. And so I think that the, the key is, is twofold. One is you, before you call or talk to a broker, first of all, you have to develop some, some amount of knowledge and confidence. And, and you also have to have a team behind you. So before you talk to a broker, there's at least two things you got to do. One is you have to build a team. And the most important member of your team is your property manager. The second most probably is a lender. And the reason for that is because you are leveraging their track record that you don't have. These people also help you uh, in, the, in the underwriting when you actually make offers. And then they help you, of course, during the due diligence process. And then they, of course, manage the, 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 the property itself. <laughs> After you close, so, right? You know, and so, so you want to have a team because especially in the beginning when you don't have a track record and you get the question, well, how many apartment buildings have you done? And of course the answer is none. Well, instead of spending time awkwardly on yourself and the lack of your track record, you're talking about the team you built around you and it kind of takes the attention away from you. So that gives you a lot of added credibility. Number two, though, you know, you got to use the right language too. Right. I mean, it's like anything like, you know, if, if you get, uh, you know, if you get scuba certified or you start to play golf, right, you, you, you got to use the right language. And if you don't use the right language or you don't pay attention to the proper etiquette in golf, you know, people kind of they still respect you and they like you, but they know you're a newbie. And therefore, you're prop, you're properly pigeonholed as a newbie. And it's the same thing when you when you call brokers, right? You don't call brokers and you know, you ask them for a listing, for example, right? They're like, okay, I know who you are. You know, here's what I'm going to do. Why don't you send me your proof of funds and I'll send you my listings, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so if you use the right language, uh, which requires uh, uh, some amount of education, then the broker's not sure if you're a newbie or not because you're using the right language and you have a team around you. I mean, you could be like a multimillionaire or whatever. And so therefore they're going to take you a lot, lot more seriously. And that's really how you want to approach brokers is using the right language and a team around you. And when you do that, you don't need a gigantic track record because you're, you're, you're delivering your script, whatever, with confidence. And then from that point on, you build a relationship with those brokers and that then leads to off-market deals and semi-off-market deals. And you don't need a whole bunch of brokers. You need like two or three and they'll right. feed you, you know, for the rest of your life. Right, right. It, you know, what you said there can be applied to how... Uh, somebody new can talk to, you know, potential investors too. You know, they, you know, I talk to young people and they're like, well, I'm young and my network, you know, doesn't have a lot of money. And, you know, my, my parents do and my, you know, their neighbors and stuff, but I, you know, I don't know if they'll take me seriously. Well, there you go. Talk about the team, you know, talk property management company manages 20,000 units in the, in the market that I'm looking to buy, you know, the, the property manager, um, the, the lenders have done X billion dollars of, of apartment loans, you know? Um, and then the other thing you didn't talk about that I think is important and um, is if you're new, I would recommend that you align yourself as part of the team as with another investor who's already done it. So you partner with somebody 
that has already done it and they have a track record and they have a resume and they have an investor base and they've been through it before. And so you might get a smaller piece of the deal on the first go around, but you know, the brokers may take you more seriously because they know the other guy that you're partnering with. Yeah, that's a good, that's good also. Um, you know, talking about partners, how do you go about building relationships and developing partnerships? Yeah, I mean, uh, one thing that's significantly different in the multifamily syndication uh, over almost any other business, especially like house flipping or anything like that, is it's kind of a team sport. In other words, partnerships are actually more of the norm than not. And uh, there's, there's, well, there's several reasons for it. But one is, if you look at the roles in a syndication, there's two primary roles in the beginning. And one is someone's got to find a deal and someone's got to raise the capital. And the skills and strengths for those are markedly different. For example, finding deals, et cetera, requires that you're kind of a numbers person, right? So that attracts more of the analytical types, the numbers types, and those people t- tend to be more introverted. They're also more uh, detail-oriented, for example, when they do due diligence and things of that nature. That's, you know, a specific type of person. But the capital raising requires you to be extroverted, right? And, and people, these are relationship people. And those people typically don't num- like numbers at all. Like the sight of a spreadsheet makes them break out on a cold sweat, <laughs> right? And so it's very rare that both of those are in the same person. And, uh, and so those, those, are, those always form the most ideal joint ventures, those two kind of people, because they complement each other. And now one person is literally accountable for finding deals and the other one is accountable for raising the capital. Now they should both, of course, help each other do that. But from an accountability perspective, those partnerships work really well. And so, and then of course, once you close a deal, you have now an operational or asset management component. So now you need a little bit more of a manager. And when you get a little bit bigger, you got to worry about marketing, right? So now you're, you're, because you want to attract more and more capital, you have to get good at marketing. And again, that could be a different type entirely. So you, in the beginning, you partner with people because equity is the only thing you have to play with. As you get a little bigger, though, you can start hiring people, right? And so that's kind of how you, how you scale from a partnership perspective. Then you ask, how do you find those people? Well, number one, you have to leave the house every once in a while. You have to network with people. And you have to, you have to be clear about the roles I just talked about and be aware of your own strengths and weaknesses so you know what, what your role could be and who you're looking to fill. And then the last component is being clear about your values, right? What's important to you, what you value, what you maybe don't like in people at all. And you want to find people that you see eye to eye eye on. That's the the biggest thing. If you see partnerships fail, they're typically uh, don't see eye to eye on important things. Like, I mean, it could be a variety of different things. And so really getting aligned on a values values basis, um, you know, makes those partnerships last a little longer. But if not, it's not the end of the world because the divorce is already built into every single deal. If you don't like it, you're selling in five years anyway. Right. And so you already have the prenup, uh, you know, pre-negotiated. So it's not like you partner for the rest of your life. You're just partnering for one deal. You know, if it worked out great, then you do another deal. And if it didn't, you just don't partner with that person anymore. So it allows you to experiment, you know, a little bit more safely uh, with different partnerships until, you find that partner, that partner is where you really gel. And now it really allows you to scale the business. Yeah, that's, that's huge. Um, you mentioned, you know, uh, being clear on your, on your values. And I've had two or three conversations with people that have had kind of bad breakups and in, in partnerships and, and they hit on that exact point. They said, I, I wish I spent more time really getting to know the person and their character and their values 
Um, because once we were in, you know, in the deal together, we just approached things differently. And, you know, from that perspective. Um, so you, I think you hit it on the head. The other thing is, um, you know, being clear about your strengths and weaknesses. I've found in this business that it's incredible how one collaborative people are, right? So people are very open to partnering with, with people. Um, it is a very much a team sport, um, but also people are very quick. You know, the experienced people are very quick to get down to whether you're a fit or not, right? That they're willing to say, Hey, look, um, my financial situation is this, what's yours, right? And what, what role are you playing in this, you know, and what role am I playing? And you know what? Yeah, that works or no, it doesn't. And then on to the next, right? Like it's, you have to be willing to have that conversation, tell people, you know, where you're looking to play and then see if it's a fit. And look, you got to have thick skin because not, you know, it's not personal, right? Somebody just may be like, no, I got that covered, man. I got that side covered. I'm looking for somebody else, you know? But if you take it personal, it could prevent you from going and finding the next guy. So first deal, here's one for you. You know, there's two schools of thought, like just do something small and take action and get something done. Or, you know, look, you can, you can go big right away. So where do you fall in the, in that camp? Yeah. So Mike, why, when I get this question, it's what I'm looking for is I'm looking for a mix of, of achievable and meaningful. Okay. Meaning that I want to quit my job. Okay, great. So therefore a large deal will be more meaningful, but maybe less achievable. On the other hand, you know, if, if I make $10,000 a month, then buying a duplex is very achievable. I can probably go out tomorrow, pay for it. It's not very meaningful because I would need a whole bunch of du duplexes. Therefore, you want, to, you want the intersection. And typically, we give people a year to do their first deal. And in that time, they have ability to you know, get, get, some, get some training, do a little practicing, and push their comfort zone a little bit, maybe raise some capital. You know, and so you know, if your comfort zone ends at a duplex, for example, you might push yourself to do a 10 unit uh, through this process in the first year. And so that's really my, 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 my guidance is, is do something that's both meaningful and achievable um, and if that doesn't work for some reason, you can't wrap your head around anything bigger than, you know, a duplex, even despite all that, like, that's like the major, like then do a duplex, right? The, 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 the real big thing is that you do do something in that first year and it doesn't have to be tomorrow, but it should happen sometime in the first year. Yeah. Um, I think that's great advice. I, I love that achievable and meaningful. Um, you know, for me, I bought a duplex first, my wife and I, and it really wasn't meaningful, right? In terms yeah, of right. didn't really push the envelope, but I was in the camp of being scared. Like, you know, I'd always invested in stocks and, you know, mutual funds and that sort of thing. And, and even a duplex was still, you know, 50 grand, you know, whether, and Am I doing it right? Am I buying it right? Am I going to manage it right? You know, all those, those questions. But then once I was done, I was like, all right, now I understand it. But buying another duplex is not going to push the needle. So I have to go bigger and, and went searching how to go bigger. But, you know, people say, are you bummed out that you did the duplex? And I'm like, well, 
I don't know that I would have gone and searched out some a way to go bigger if I hadn't done it. So, you know, I'm glad I did something, you know, so I think that that's, um, you know, my advice to people is you got to get out there and do something. You even said before, you have to leave the house. You know, there are, you know, you could buy stocks on your computer, right? You know, and you don't have to leave the house, but in real estate, you got to leave the house. You got to go to some conferences. You got to go to some meetup groups. You got to meet other people that are doing it and then find out where you fit in. Exactly. Now you can do this online too, by the way. I mean, there's some genius networkers. They go to all these virtual conferences, these Zoom calls, and then they private message everybody on the call and they set up other Zoom calls one-on-one. Uh, we, had a, we had a couple that did that, Americans that lived in, in the UK and they did like three deals in the US this way. It was mad. Did they, did they really ago. from the UK? Oh, oh yeah. They recruited everybody. They had every partner, money partner, boots on the ground. It was, it was insane. That's exactly how they did it. So uh, so leaving the virtual house is, is, is necessary, but that's how they did it. And it was, it was awesome. Wow. That, well, that should tell the listeners that like, if somebody from the UK, you know, without being even able to go and meet physically can figure out a way to network, build relationships, you know, and build credibility and get a deal done. Like there's no excuse for you. Yeah. You know, you need to get out there and do it. Um, Hey, talk to, talk to us a little bit about the book. Like, um, you know, one, why'd you write it? Two, you know, what's the benefit for somebody, you know, reading it and, um, and go from there? Well, I wanted to write it to get my message out, which is, hey, you can become financially free with real estate because most real estate investors are frustrated, all right? Uh, uh, they, they, or they think they're on the right path when they're actually not. I can tell them, hey, you're actually not going to quit your job and in five years, you'll realize it. And then some people are like, Gosh, I'm five years in. I can't get there. I need something else. And so the, that's why the title of the book is Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing. And I don't put anything about apartment buildings in there because that I already know generates at least two objections. One is, oh, Michael, that's a, you know, it's an advanced strategy. I don't have the experience, right? Or it's an advanced strategy. I don't have the money. And so they wouldn't even read the book if I put apartment buildings on the cover. <laughs> and uh, so that's really, I wanted to spell some myths around there. Hey, myth, by the way, your single family house strategy is not going to get you there. And by the way, apartment buildings, not only is it not scary, it's the most direct way to get there. And then I really, uh, the other reason I wrote the book is so to dispel the myth, but number two is to help someone see what that, what the syndication process is like. So I kind of go through the steps of finding a deal, analyzing a deal, putting on a contract and just give them visibility in the entire process. Because I found that when people, one of the reasons, things that are scary in life is you don't, if you don't know what's in the box, it's a black box and the box right. looks super scary. But if you look in the box and there's nothing that's biting you, you're like, oh my gosh, well, that's not so bad. So if I open up the box a little bit and let someone look in there, like, oh, it's not so bad. And then they start maybe the, uh, developing a belief that maybe they could possibly do that. And that's really what I do is I want to, you know, no knock against single family house investing. Someone's got to own single family houses, but you know, really what I want to do is when someone reads that purple book, I want to have, I want to give them the yellow book right afterwards, right? Because I say, okay, you did this. Now you got the passive income bug. Okay. But unfortunately the blue book, the purple book doesn't tell you how to do it. It just mentions real estate and cash flow businesses. And the reader is left to wonder how exactly you do that. So they go on HGTV and watch flip this house and like, it must be house flipping. Right. Right. So I want to hand them the yellow book. So they go, wait a minute, because it's not a bad thought, but let me just redirect you a little bit to the, to the right and maybe uh, allow them to maybe skip the single family house investing and go right into apartment buildings because you don't, it's not a sequential event. Yeah, I, 
I like how you, you phrase that in terms of like looking in the box and seeing that there's nothing that's too scary in there. So, you know, my advice to, to people is, is look, if you, if you think about all the things you have to do in a multifamily syndication, buying an apartment deal, it can seem overwhelming. So, you know, my advice is like, just focus on the next step. But there's some people that may not even go into that first step because they're afraid that there's something in that box that's going to bite them. So, yeah. you know, so I think that that maybe a combination of the both is, is a good approach. First, you, you need to let people know that it's all achievable. You know, you can do, you can do it all. And then don't get overwhelmed by all the different steps, you know, focus on yeah, I mean, the next one and then move on. That's a good point. I mean, the first step is they have, they have to have a certain amount of belief, right? Because if you don't believe something, why would you take a step in that direction? Right? Right. If you don't believe that you can do it, then taking a step is a meaningless, pointless thing. Therefore, you have to have some kind of belief, a belief in yourself, maybe in a higher power, maybe in a system or another person. Get off some kind of belief. Uh, and then the other thing too, though, is the overwhelm, right? Because you're like, okay, I think I can do this, but oh my gosh, there's 169 thousand steps <laughs> right. or so it seems right and so what i what i would tell people is is um i also people do the next three things not necessarily the next one i, I like to think in threes you know uh, uh like the one thing by gary keller is, is super the idea is, is super but there's no way i can narrow it down to one thing but can, i can almost always narrow it down to three and maybe i can even rank them which would give me the one thing, but the next three, because you always know what the next three steps are. You always do. You might not know what the 54th step is. And to some degree, you shouldn't really care. So what I tell people to do is just write down the next three things, whatever they are right now in your reality, what those are. I got to read this book, go to that meetup and call that broker. Let's say, okay, write right. it down, do those three things, do them, cross them off, write down the next three things you got to do now. And then do that for like two months. And people would be amazed to see how much progress they've actually done. And now they've built some momentum and some habits and new skills, and that will carry them forward. Yeah, that's huge. And, um, you know, the other thing with, with doing these apartment deals, you know, once you go through the process, a lot of it be can become, you know, repetitive. And, you know, people have asked me, like, when I went through my first syndication, like, what part was the scariest part? And I'm like, you know what? Almost, almost every one was because I hadn't done it before. But then when I look back on it, I'm like, there's nothing, you know, earth shattering about that, that, you know, you, you, that's an easy step, but there's a lot of different steps that can feel overwhelming. But once you, you get through it and you do it, it's just like anything. Once you do it, you look back and you're like, that wasn't that bad. Hey, talk about why you started a, um, a conference and how, how long have you been doing it? Uh, since 2017. I mean, it's a way to get everybody to, together in person. I mean, like, I mean, I've always been online. You know, I, I frankly, for a long time, I hid behind my camera and my microphone. It was, it was nice. And I'm an extrovert, so it's not like I, you know, I don't, it's just, you know, it's, it's efficient, it's comfortable. I don't really love traveling a lot. But, you know, uh, people really do want to get together in person. And, and, you know, when you have these annual conferences, it, over and over again, do I hear people saying, I met my partner there, I, right. or I found the deal there, or I found this capitalist money partner there, or does some speaker blew my mind with an idea that just, you know, whatever. And so, uh, you know, during COVID, we had virtual conferences. And 
Yes, we try to do breakout room, things of that nature. And that was pretty cool. But there's nothing like hanging out at the bar over dinner, right. you know, and building relationships. And so this is really why, why we do it. Uh, but there, you know, there, there are a lot of effort. They cost a lot of money. And so it's, you know, it's, you know, yeah, I would do it every month if I could. Um, but we do it once, once a year to kind of can bring everybody together. Well, that it's interesting what you just said, because, and I, and I think it's so true. I don't know the finances on the, on the, the event, but I'm assuming that you make money on the event. You know, don't you assume to, that. Well, I would assume it. Um, you put, you outlay the money, you get enough people there, they pay a fee. Um, but what's interesting when you think about that ROI, you know, somebody pays a ticket to go to this event and then not only are they hearing the content that, you know, and the speakers that you bring on and they're learning from that, but to say that they found their partner, you know, or, you know, talk to a broker that gave them a deal or something along those lines, like had they not gotten on the plane and flown to that event, they may be still without their first deal. You know, that's, that's the difference between somebody taking action and somebody not. Yeah. And, and the thing is you are one relationship away from another level entirely. I remember when I was first getting started and, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't, I had raised some money for the house flips, but um, you know, I couldn't wrap my head around raising anything more than like 200 grand. And, uh, and so finally I went to a, to a, to a meetup and I met a guy and we hit it off and it turns out he just sold his business for like $20 million. And so we had lunch and I found this out over lunch. And he goes, yeah, I, I really like uh, real estate, multifamily real estate. And, you know, and I want to, I want to deploy at least a million dollars per deal. And I'm like, a million dollars per deal. <laughs> I'm your you guy. And, and, and yeah, but I'm your guy. But immediately my, my half of my brain was blown all over the wall because <laughs> I had been wrapping my little brain around $250,000. And this guy comes up to me with at least a, mi a million dollars. And all of a sudden, what I was just thinking a second ago is now gone. And I'm like, million dollars, right? And so... This happens, this has happened to me a lot in the, in the past, uh, even when you're talking to experienced people, even experienced operators, and you're hemming and hawing over a, over a duplex, you know, and someone who, who's got, you know, a couple hundred units goes, Darren, you can do a little more than two. Right. It's actually pretty, pretty easy. You know, like, I can? You know, all of a sudden, because of this person who has unbelievable confidence in you, sees something and you don't, all of a sudden, now you start believing that, yeah, I can do a 10 unit, you know, and you, you abandon the two unit because of this person you just met. So therefore actually literally meeting people like that, getting out and building relationships. This is why I do believe that you're sometimes one relationship away from the next level. Yeah, that's, that's huge. Um, I, you know, I was thinking about partners and deals, but just even meeting the one person that can take you, you know, give you advice, uh, be a, be a unpaid mentor to, to take you to the next level. And that's one of, one of the other advantages I saw from joining a mentorship group was not only the, learning from the mentor, but just being surrounded with like-minded people and, and seeing this guy did 150 unit, this guy's on his fourth deal, this guy's on his, and like, look, they're smart people, right? But they're, they're it's not like they're rocket scientists. They're like, if they can do it, I can do it. Right. And, and, but until you get out there and see that, you know, you could just hide behind the skepticism and think that that's for somebody else. 
Well, it's also kind of a lonely sport because, you know, in your friends and family, you're kind of crazy, right? right. Clearly, because your friends and family think you're crazy. Absolutely. Raising money to buy a multimillion, that's like, you're crazy. And so after a while, you're like, man, I think maybe I'm crazy. <laughs> and so you go to these, you go to these conferences or these communities and there's a whole bunch of crazy people, you know, and all of a sudden you're like, maybe I'm not so crazy. And it does encourage you, right? Because before you're like, I'm not, you, you, you doubt yourself. And then you see a bunch of other people, you know, kind of on the similar journey as you are. And it, it does provide encouragement. So this is why these communities are very important. Yeah. I remember the first time I came home one day from a purely multifamily networking event and everybody was in the group and I came home. And I said to my wife, that was the craziest thing I've ever been to. And she's like, what do you mean? I'm like, there were like 200 and some odd people and everybody had in that room either was a syndicator or had capital and they wanted to invest in multifamily. It was all put in the same room. It was like, are you kidding? And everybody had paid a fee to do this. So, you know, it wasn't like a bunch of people that were looking to get rich quick on, you know, a hundred dollar weekend event. Um, so that was crazy to me. Um, Hey, talk about perseverance and determination. You did say earlier that you tell people, you know, we want them to have it within a year. But it's not something like, you know, single family, you can go out and buy something in next two weeks, right? But multifamily, it, it takes a little while longer. Yeah, I love the, the book by Hal Elrod called The Miracle Equation because he redefines goal setting. I mean, typically we're, we're taught to have, you know, very specific measurable goals by a certain deadline. Okay, that may be good for shorter term goals, but for something like I'm going to do my first deal in the next year. Well, how do you know it's going to be a first in one year? I mean, it could be nine months or it could be 18 months. Like, so you don't know what I'm saying. There's, you know, there's variables in that goal that you don't control. You don't control the timeline of the goal, but you do control the activity that could lead to that goal. So what Hal says in the book is, Commit to set goals when you have a goal like that, where you don't control the outcome, then set activity-based goals that lead to an outcome and then commit to those activity essentially for as long as it takes. Okay, there's no timeline. So, and that's very encouraging because, you know, if, if you know, the one year comes and goes and you don't have a first deal, well, what are you going to do? Give up because you didn't get your first deal in the year? Maybe right? a, the a lot of people have, do, I think, you know. Well, you know, I mean, we've had, we've had people not do their first deal in the first year and we just say, look, you got to keep going. And sure enough, within a month, two or three, they do their first deal. And it's just to have to commit, you know, commit to the activity of, you know, analyzing deals and talking to investors. And it's kind of boring, a little tedious at times, right? And it is discouraging, but if you can commit to these activities then you will become successful, it may not be exactly in your timeline, and um, I remember uh, interviewing Grant Cardone a little bit and asked him kind of what his superpowers and I thought it'd be his jet or his Rolls Royce or something. And he said, consistency, you know, consistency. I was like, and it's so true. It's consistency. It's not even massive action. Like who the heck takes massive action, right? It's tiny action every single day. It's consistency that leads to the result. And so that's, that's really the secret. You know, liken it to working out, right? I mean, you can go in the gym and, and one day go all out, right? And it's most likely not going to change, you know, your physique. But you go consistently day in and day out. And over time, you're going to see those changes. 
Um, and, and that happens here too. I mean, it's just, it's, there's people that get frustrated, um, and because they, they want that first deal, they want that first deal. And then all of a sudden they get it. And then the number two, three, four come like that, you know? So, Hey, talk about systems because, you know, within this apartment investing game, um, you know, a lot of people that are successful start to build, you know, systems in different areas um, that are, you know, to, to make it more efficient. Are you talking about systems to get into your first deal or scaling your portfolio? So it could be systems in, in a lot of different ways. It could be systems in terms of, you know, leveraging BAs to do um, tasks that you, you know, that you don't normally have to do, or it could be systems um, by having repetitive tasks, you know, handled by, by hiring somebody to do, you know, a piece of the underwriting. Um, and, and then you end up looking at, you know, the high level. Um, but what kind of systems have you implemented over, over time that have helped you? So we're going to talk about scaling systems, it could be, right? It could, of- yeah, it could be underwriting. It could be um, how you look at deals. It could be, you know, yeah. How- in the beginning, you, you have less systems per se because you have you don't have the revenue coming in to actually outsource stuff, right? So it's it's typically you and maybe your partner. The only system that would be valuable early on is to follow a system that gets you in a first deal, right? So ours is called the Dealmaker Certification or Dealmaker Blueprint, for example, that um, that shows you the, the the steps that you should follow the first ninety days so you can actually you know, do your first deal after that, right? So that's a system they that you follow. Uh, so you don't have to figure things out on your own. Now, once you've actually done your first deal and maybe your second or third, you've got to start thinking about scaling. And, you know, we've had new conversation with people who've done their first deal. And when I ask them what their scaling plan is, they look at me, you know, and they don't even know how to answer the question. They go, I'm just going to do what I did last month. Right. But, I, you know, that was my scaling plan, too. I, I had no idea what my scaling plan was. Someone asked me a scaling plan. So. So what we're trying to do now is help people create those scaling plans to address things like, you know, do you understand what your revenue projections are? Do you even know what your revenue sources are? Where are they coming from? Okay, well, do you know how to raise more and more capital? Like, how are you going to do that? Well, we've got to talk about marketing. Um, you know you have to invest in marketing. How much should you invest in what kind of marketing and what kind of return on investment should you expect? What kind of people do I need, right? In a syndication, we talked about uh, four roles. or maybe a couple other ones. Okay, how are you going to get those? Are you going to partner your way there? Are you going to hire them there, right? How does that feed? And then you put, basically put a profit and loss projection together. And then once you have all that stuff together, you kind of put together a plan. And you know, we, uh, we put together a three-year, what's called Vivid Vision, by the book by the guy's name, I can't remember, it's called Vivid Vision, where you basically visualize what your company looks like in three years. And then you create a one-year plan. Okay, what do I want to do this one year? And then you create your quarterly goals or quarterly rocks. Like, what are the three things that I want to do this quarter. And then you do that for yourself, for the team, for every person on the team. And that's how you hold uh, the team accountable. And so having done all that gives you your scaling plan. And it gives you, it gets clarity of what, it, it clarifies what you need to do to get there. And I just find that most syndicators have no idea where they're going to they say, oh, I'm going to have 100 million assets under management. I say, great, how are you going to raise, how much capital do you need to raise? Uh, I don't know. Exactly. I have, I have, a, I got, I got, I don't know. Well, how are you going to raise that much capital? I don't know. Well, you're just dreaming now, buddy, right? You're not, you're dreaming. You have all these hundred million, you know, but you have no idea how to get there. And that's a shame, right? So what we're trying to do in that one is introduce the, 
the uh, the scaling plan and then the systems within it, of course, uh, that are very important. But you need you need to have a plan. You need to know you need to have revenue coming in. If you have revenue, if you don't have revenue coming in, you can't hire a VA. You can't right. hire a marketing person. Right. So you got to be clear about those things. The cool thing is it's not hard to do. That's a cool thing because this business is so lucrative that uh, that if you just play your cards right, uh, you will generate a lot of revenue and then you can hire and it doesn't take more than a handful of people to run a portfolio of a couple hundred million dollars. You know, it's not like I need 50 employees unless I'm managing. Well, I'm, cool. th- I'm thinking of, uh, I mean, look at the value of, of what you just said. Somebody, you know, is busting their tail for nine months or a year, a year and a half gets their first deal. And then all of a sudden has you ask them those questions, they weren't even prepared for it. And at first, they're probably like, man, I don't, can't believe he's hitting me up like this. Like, <laughs> but then when they think about it, like now it really makes them think, okay, where do I want to go? And how am I going to get there? And, how, and all of a sudden, it, for the ones, not everybody's going to do it, right? Not everybody's going to make those plans. But the ones that do implement those plans, all of a sudden they achieve that next level and they're like, you know, thank you. Thank you for hitting me on the head with that. Right. Um, so that's fantastic. That, that's another, you know, value of having a mentor and, and having people around you that are trying to help level you up. And in this business, there's people that are below you and there's people above and everybody is out to help each other. It's, it's, it's crazy industry that way. Your deal, your deal is in June. And is it two days or three days, the Dealmaker Live? Yeah, it's two and a half days. You have to start it with a reception, of course, a networking reception. So it's uh, June 2nd through 4th in uh, Dallas at the Hilton Anatole. And what is, who is the typical person that comes to that event? Is it the person that's never invested before? Is it the person that's done one deal and is looking to scale? Is it a mixed match? What, you know, who's the typical person that attends that? Yeah, it's a bit of a match. I mean, there's going to be people uh, all over the place. Uh, there's going to be people who have maybe done a deal. Then there's going to be heavy hitters there that have maybe a thousand plus units. And some of them may actually be speaking. Uh, then there's people who have never done a deal. Uh, and there's everybody in, in between, right? There's also some, some uh, investors that go there, right? Because they, they're looking for operators to invest with, um, uh, you know, KPs, co-sponsors, that kind of stuff. So it's, it's a pretty good mix. They're just attracted by the multifamily uh, in, industry because there's so many different ways to get involved. Yeah. You know, it was funny when I first got involved, I even thought to myself, which is silly, but I thought to myself, okay, well, I'm looking to invest passively and also learn how to be inactive. Well, the experience indicators aren't, they're probably not even going to want my money because they already have their investor database. Right. And, but that's somebody coming from outside the industry that doesn't understand it. Well, once I got in, I started realizing, well, a lot of new people that come in, they may take half a million dollars out of the stock market and then invest it in five, 10 deals over the year, but then they're, they're tapped out. They're, they have to wait until that deal, those deals start turning in three, four or five years. So the syndicators are always looking for new investors to get involved because the other investors... Some of them have, a, you know, a lot of capital and they can keep reinvesting, but others, they get tapped out. So, hey, what, what do you, what's your next big stretch goal? Where do you go from here? Stretch goal. So, um, 
you know, we, we want to become known as a company that can help people become financially free with real estate. So we're trying to become more mainstream, right? We're, we're, we're already, we're fairly well known if someone re reaches, uh, searches for apartment buildings or multifamily syndication training or education, we want to reach people who aren't thinking apartment buildings, right? So uh, we're just ready to, to just reach more people. We have to change our messaging a little bit more. Uh, we have to maybe talk to, to people more about what they're thinking of. Could be, hey, how to, how to not flip a house, right? Oh, or how to, you know, whatever. And so we want to try to reach more people who are thinking real estate, uh, but not necessarily apartment buildings. And we want to bend their mind. So that's kind of where we are uh, right now. Will, uh, the, just, will the solutions still be apartment buildings? Or Yes. Okay. But it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's trying to change the front end messaging so to bring yeah. more people into the fold where right. they don't have that objection right out of the gate. That's, exact, that's exactly okay. right. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah kind, of, kind of talking to them in terms that they're thinking now, which could be single family house or a Burr method or right. even crypto, okay, or whatever, investing in the stock. Well, maybe not invest in the stock market, but stuff like that. And saying, hey, that's pretty cool, but you know what? Here's some problems with that, and here's some of the ways you might think about uh, solving solving that. That that's interesting. I like that. Hey, what what do you like to do uh, for fun outside of work? Oh man, I love the, I love the outdoors. Uh, so hiking, and uh, I played uh, competitive tennis. Uh, one of my favorite things to do is to is to travel, uh, particularly with my with my family. I don't really love business U.S. Travel or, that much. or international. Man, I, I wish I was international. We haven't, we haven't made any international plans yet because we, a couple of years ago, right before COVID, well, right after COVID, we actually had a huge round the world trip planned, like 60 days. Like oh, wow. I had all my, all my podcasts recorded. I worked my butt off, get it all in the can. And then COVID came, you know, my, my daughter deferred college, you know, it was, oh, it was magical. Man. It took us like a year and a half to plan this thing. Right. And then COVID came and we're like, oh. So I was like, man, I still, I'm still traumatized from that. So yes, in, in, uh, international would be, would be great. Uh, so right now we're just keeping it domestic, but, but man, maybe next, next year, uh, would, time, to, time to get back out there. Fantastic. Well, hey, if uh, people want to reach out to you or get to know you better, um, you know, where would you point them? Yeah, a couple of places. Uh, I think uh, maybe check out my podcast as well. It's at, uh, it's, in fact, we have a, uh, it's the Freedom Podcast forward slash listen. So it's the Freedom Podcast forward slash listen. Actually, we'll open up your podcast reader uh, wherever you are. You can listen to an episode or two. And then if you want, if you're curious about multifamily, uh, check out Darren. He's got a lot of stuff in his YouTube channel. We got a couple of cool things in our Freedom Vault. We have a, an ebook in there that, um, that talks about how you can raise capital to buy your first, uh, first deal. And that's in the Freedom Vault. And that is also at thefreedompodcast.com forward slash Darren. We even have your, no your own link for that. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, so that might be a couple things that uh, you can do if you're watching this, listening to it. Fantastic. Um, yeah, look, listeners, um, if you don't know, you, most of you probably have heard of Michael, but if, if, if you don't know him, um, you need to start looking at some of his stuff because he's definitely a leader in the space. And I love the fact that he's not just, you know, he's, he's unique from the standpoint in the multifamily business, most of the people I talk to are just focused on multifamily. And here he is wanting to get the message out to, you know, a bigger audience, more so with financial freedom and using apartment investing, you know, to, to get there. So um, listeners, I hope you enjoyed that one. Michael, appreciate you coming on the show. Until next week, signing off. Thank you for listening to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show at darrenbatchelder.com. 
If you liked the episode, please provide us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you already provided us with a five-star review, then thank you. And please share the show with a friend. <laughs>